Welcome to Power Plays, a CoBank Knowledge Exchange podcast series, an audio program where we connect you with top energy and environmental innovators and policymakers who share their insights, experience, and market observations. Hello, I'm Terry Vishwanath, the lead economist for Power, Energy, and Water at CoBank. I'm joined today by co-host and CoBank Managing Director, Tamara Reynolds. Hi, Tamara. Hello, Terry. For our December winter podcast, we wanted to end the year on a seasonally appropriate note by talking about home heating. Heating and cooling typically accounts for 40 to 60% of consumer energy bills, depending, of course, on where you live and the home you live in. And this year in particular, since Americans are expecting to pay a lot more to heat their homes this winter. That's right. But beyond the home economics bottom line, there's also this really important issue of, of home comfort. Are the rooms in your house uncomfortable or unusable during the height of winter or during the blistering summer? Is your home drafty in the winter season or maybe it's too tropical in the summer? So we sat down with Nate Adams, author of the Home Comfort book, co-founder of HVAC 2.0, and a partner of Energy Smart Home Performance, to better understand home heating equipment. Here's our discussion with Nate. Nate, thanks for joining our program to discuss energy-efficient homes. Thanks for having me. You know, we lifted our we lifted your book title for our podcast because it appears you align the notion of home comfort with energy efficiency. Um, why was energy efficiency an important part of the story you wanted to discuss with your readers? Um, well, the funny thing is, it's it's actually not <laughs> as we have moved forward. Um, so what we have found is in in many pieces of our work, there are good goals. And then there are natural outcomes, and those are two different things. So uh, if you do a good project, energy efficiency is a natural outcome. Uh, But if you make energy efficiency your upfront outcome, um, typically the, the next question is, well, what's the payback? Yeah. And, and then, I mean, there, the only things that make any kind of sense are to go from incandescent light bulbs to LEDs or CFLs. And that's basically done at this point. Um, And to go from a resistance water heater to a heat pump water heater or something along those lines. That's, those are the only predictable. Efficiency goals. But if you lead with energy efficiency and saving money, you're going to become a liar because fuel prices change. Uh, now, if you can focus on solving problems that people care about, like the, the, the easiest one is if, if there are any rooms in your house that are more than two or three degrees different from any other room and you don't want it to be, that's a problem that can be solved. Now, what does that look like? I don't know. It varies uh, from house to house. I mean, that's uh, my, my book dives into a bunch of the details, uh, but uh if you can solve for those comfort problems, A, you typically end up with a heat pump, and B, you almost always save energy. So selling heat pumps and energy efficiency, are it's a really bad selling point, but it is a natural outcome of solving problems that people care enough to pay money for. Let's talk a little bit about the HVAC system and that aspect um, for, with consumers, you know, potentially purchasing the wrong one. You, you might be stuck with that decision for uh, several years, you know, 15 to 20 years or, or more. So from, a, from an energy efficiency standpoint in the home, why should we be thinking about heating and cooling and, and what are some practical 
things that you could share with us uh, from the home buyer perspective about how to approach that that conundrum? So I'll just start with a, a simple number to begin. So heating and cooling is between 40 and 60% of your annual energy bill. So it is the single largest piece of what you spend money on, at least with your utility bill in a house. Um, so there's that piece. Now, um, there's a really important analogy moving to comfort, which is ultimately what we find sells projects. So it, in what we do in the program that we build HVAC 2.0, uh, which is instead of just looking at what's called the box in the house, so the furnace, the air conditioner, the heat pump, whatever it might be, we we zoom out and we look at the entire house at the same time, which you have to do to understand. And particularly if you're looking at heat pumps, because heat pumps have lower outputs than furnaces. So if you don't make it so the house is easier to heat or cool, a heat pump is oftentimes the wrong piece of equipment to do the job. Um, it's like putting a four-cylinder in a pickup truck and asking it to tow a trailer. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be a good experience. Now you can make it work in almost any house so that that can be helpful. Um, but, uh, taking a, a quick step back to looking at comfort, um, I'll, I'll give you two a choice. So you need to take a shower, uh, or you need to get clean and you have 10 gallons of hot water to do it. You have two options. You can have a bucket dumped over your head, or you can take a five minute shower. Which one would you prefer? Oh, the shower. <laughs> it's the bucket. <laughs> right. What you want to do to achieve better comfort is to get the equivalent of that shower. You want to put a small amount of heat or cool into the house, whatever it takes to keep up with the conditions that it's seeing right now. Um, and you want to trickle that heating or cooling in. And what that ends up doing is it makes all the surfaces and the materials in the house about the same temperature. And it's a, the dorky term for that is mean radiant temperature or MRT. And radiant energy, which is um, energy coming off of surfaces, is about 60% of human comfort. And most people in the HVAC industry can't define mean radiant temperature, which means they're literally missing over half the equation. And the best way to deliver good comfort is to put in right-sized equipment that can run at lots of different speeds. So basically, you, you get a throttle on... Uh, the heating and cooling versus an on-off switch. So if you look at a typical furnace, if it's a 50 degree day, it's probably 10 times larger than it needs to be to do the job. So it's going to turn on, it's going to put out heat like that bucket, and then it's going to turn off. And everything in the house is going to stay cold, even though the air is technically warm in the house, that like the couch can literally be cold. Um, and so if you can downsize the equipment and make it multiple speed and trickle that, that heating or cooling out, just like a shower, all of a sudden the house gets much more comfortable. And this naturally puts you into heat pump territory because the smallest furnace that you can get that's modulating is 60,000 BTUs. Three tons is 36,000, by the way. Um, and that modulating furnace will only come down to 20,000 BTUs at minimum output. If you get a three-ton variable speed uh, heat pump, it'll drop down to about 9,000 BTUs, which means it can match what that house needs most of the year. And the house just naturally becomes more comfortable. And because heat pumps naturally have smaller outputs and can vary further down than furnaces can, heat pumps naturally provide better comfort. 
I think that's a really good point because, you know, that, that feeling of being blasted by the furnace, and I think that's a common experience. But I'll tell you what, Nate, when discussing this particular issue about heat pumps, there's so many of, you know, our electric co-ops that have had, you know, offering rebates and have had not a great experience because of the issue of comfort, right? Because they, they, they've said that it's, it's a hard sell for consumers. So, you know, let's, let's address that a little bit because I know you've talked about, you know, the technology change. So is it truly this level of comfort? Because we also have to overcome this, you know, the sense that, you know, heat pumps are not going to be comfortable. They're going to have you know, they're basically blowing cool air and I'm not comfortable in, in that environment. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, on those concerns. Well, that, that's a really key concern. And this is basically why heat pumps have a bad rep in general. Um, so the technology has changed um, in basically the last decade in the U.S. So now we have something called the inverter. Um, which it takes alternating current, it turns it into direct current, and then oddly enough, it turns it back into alternating current and feeds it into the motor. And that allows, uh, by varying the frequency, um, which is nerdy, sorry, but uh, by, by varying the frequency, you can make that compressor run at sometimes between 25% of capacity and as high as 200% of full capacity. You can actually feed more power into it than it's used to taking. So this is a huge shift from what we used to have because uh, heat pumps until recently, and you can still buy lots of single stage heat pumps, they just turn on or off. That's all they do. And most of them are set up so they have in single stage so that they have a very high amount of airflow. So the air coming out of the vents may be 90 or 95 degrees, sometimes even as low as in the 80s. Air moving quickly at those temperatures feels cold. So people don't like that feeling. Now the inverter, you can run lower amounts of airflow, which increases the temperature that's coming out. That's really only something that happens with the newer inverter uh, heat pumps that, you know, that they started hitting the market about a decade ago. And the last three or four years, there's been a rush of new products coming out um, and their, their costs are coming down, uh, which is good. Uh, so there's there's fundamentally three different types of heat pumps. There's single stage, which is on or off. There's two stage, which is a variation of single stage, where uh, low stage is typically about two thirds of full output. And then there's variable speed, which can run anywhere between 25 or 30 percent up to 100 or, like I said, even 200 percent. It's called overclocking. Um, and that's how they can maintain a full output to low temperatures. So zero degrees Fahrenheit and below. So we used to have the cold air coming out. And now if you're running at lower speeds, uh, so the air's not blasting and making the curtains flutter when the system turns on and you're not hearing the unit running. So between it being silent, not blowing as hard and being warmer, the experience is very different than it was even just a few years ago. Can you talk a little bit about the different, what we would call categories, right? Um, you he hear a lot about ground source heat pumps, um, air source heat pumps, um, kind of what the distinction is between those. Is there any, any difference in terms of how they work, the cost, um, where they work maybe is probably a better way to approach it and maybe give some context on, on how you've guided conversations um, with people in the past about that aspect. Sure. So fundamentally, there's two different types of heat pumps. There's ground source heat pumps, which pull heat from the ground. You, you dig 
a well down and you have pipes that run either vertical or horizontal on the ground. And then you pull heat from the ground through the winter. And then in the summertime, you actually feed heat back in. Air source is what it sounds like, an air source heat pump. It pulls heat from the air outside. Or in air conditioning mode, technically, it's pulling heat from the air inside and ejecting it outdoors. Ground source, we're not very bullish on at all moving forward because it's so much more expensive. You always have to drill the well. And so the well cost is going to be, you know, six to $20,000, depending on a bunch of factors. And you can't get rid of that cost. In general, because the inverter has gotten so good with air source heat pumps, it used to be this huge performance difference between them. And now it's just a very small performance difference. Um, and so for all but the very coldest places, um, air source is likely to be what we're going to see moving forward. So I'd expect 99% of the solution to be air source moving forward, thanks to the inverter. Let's talk a little bit about that, because there is that upfront cost um, that I think is hard. Um, but overall, I mean, how do you think about the cost consideration? The pure equipment purchase is going to be higher. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't have to be drastically higher. Um, like, so for instance, if you're buying an air conditioner, almost every air conditioner has an equivalent heat pump model and the wholesale cost difference isn't that large. It's typically somewhere between 400 and $600 or $700. So, you know, it's, when you're looking at a $10,000 purchase, it's not a massive spread. You know, there's that education too, which happens because when do you replace your air conditioner, your furnace, Right. You replace it when you don't have a lot of time to make a considered choice yes. on that equipment, right? Yep. And and so you know, having some of the 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 fairway defined is helpful. Yes. Well, if you go to the supply house and your choice is a heat pump, a heat pump, or a heat pump, um, you know, like Henry Ford said, uh, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Um, if only heat pumps are available at the supply house and 85% of residential HVAC equipment is replaced on an emergency basis when it breaks. Um, so if the only thing you can buy is a heat pump, guess what gets installed? Um, but it's a small cost difference. And typically people are, you're not concerned about the quality of the heating or cooling. You're concerned about the presence of it. <laughs> Does it work at all? Um, so, I mean, if, if it's 25 degrees out and your furnace is out and you're worried about your pipes freezing, you aren't thinking about what's the ideal piece of equipment I can get. It's who's the first person that can show up with the first piece of equipment that will keep my house from freezing. That's what you're looking at. Yeah. And so that's the fundamental challenge that we have. So if we don't solve that piece on the supply side, it's going to be really difficult to solve. So let's discuss um, the backup heating uh, element for a moment. So for, you know, if somebody lives in Colorado, um, for extra cold days, supplemental heating is is required, right? So, um, you know, you mentioned in one of your videos um, that you've done, when done right, a house won't use a great deal of resistance heat. Can we talk a little bit about that and put that into context too? If it's done well, so... <sighs> A real struggle here is there's the quality of the equipment and then there's the quality of the controls, how the equipment is turned on and off. So good equipment will have multiple stage backup. Uh, so this, the equipment that we usually use, Carrier and Bryant, it has three stage backup resistance heat. So it'll be 5,000 watts, 10,000 watts, 15,000 watts, or uh, 510, 15 kW. 
and it will only use that as the system starts to fall behind in very cold temperatures. So you don't have to use resistance heat as backup. You can also, I mean, technically you could oversize the heat pump, but the, the challenge is when you get into colder climates and particularly in humid ones, so the whole East Coast, uh, you know, east of the Mississippi, essentially, uh, you have humidity problems. So if you size the system too large, it doesn't run long enough to actually start to dehumidify and dry the house out. And then you can turn a house into a mold farm. And that is more than a small risk. We're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff happening on the East Coast right now that we haven't seen before. Um, so this is going to be a major challenge and we can actually make people sick if we aren't paying attention about this. So we typically size uh, the heat pumps. So I'm I'm from Cleveland. I happen to be living in West Virginia now, but I'm from Cleveland, which is a cold climate. Uh, it's very similar to Boulder and uh, uh, you know most of Colorado. Uh, so we'll size in between heating and cooling load and make up the difference with a little bit of resistance, which tends to freak out uh, most utilities. And sorry, uh, but we can solve for that with inexpensive batteries, which are you know they're coming. Um, so if you have 20 or 50 kilowatt hours of backup, uh, electricity, I mean, it's, it serves all kinds of purposes. I mean, uh, I, I love seeing what green mountain power does with that. So they reserve half of it to use for themselves. And then the other half goes to the homeowner and the homeowner pays 25 bucks a month or 40 bucks a month, whatever it is for having that privilege. Yeah. Nate, and, it's interesting. We had uh, the CEO from Vermont electric and, and they have a residential oh, battery program and absolutely yeah. you're spot on. That's exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. And it solves the problem for resistance because every morning when it's a cold morning, um, even if they aren't using setback, uh, if you think about how the, the heat of a house works, if it's a sunny day, you know, the, the, the sun actually helps a great deal heating the house. So the sun goes down, you know, 6 or 7 p.m., whatever it might be, and uh, it, the air temperature goes down and then it's dark. And then there's also another crazy thing called night sky radiation where the, the sky actually sucks heat out of uh, the ground. Um, but the key thing is somewhere around dawn, everything in the house is cold. So all the building materials have gone cold. Um, the air temperature has gone cold. So uh, when people start waking up, the heat load starts going up and that's by far your highest peak. So if you're going to need some resistance heat, that's the time. So if we had a bit of battery to pull from, we could drastically flatten that peak. Uh, so that that's, I think, going to be the ultimate solution because uh, that has so many other benefits. I mean, you can use it for voltage regulation, um, you know, just all sorts of different things that that battery can be used for, where if we just have an oversized piece of HVAC, it only has one purpose, which is for a few hours a year. And that has a lot of other comfort uh, drawbacks, uh, health drawbacks. If we're talking about dehumidification, there's a lot of risk that comes with it. So to me, like what I'm really hoping for is a 20 kilowatt hour battery installed for five grand. Because that can just replace a generator. Done. Because uh, if you're talking a few hour outage, not a big deal. That's right. And and as we think about, you know, the electric vehicle programs that, you know, our co-ops are developing as well, you know, we, we now have a mobile source of, of battery that offers that connectivity. 
one part, an important part of our electric co-ops happens to be their member education and program. As we think about this particular element of education, you know, would love to hear if you were designing, you know, an, an HVAC education program, the highlights of the, the toolkit you might actually put out for members, what would be in it? Um, well, it's it's funny. So I wrote the home comfort book and the first chapter everyone ignores, which is basically here's the physics of how your house works. But the, the second chapter of it is called HVAC 101. And what it does is it takes uh, what everyone intuitively understands, which is the HVAC system in your car. So, you know, you can put out variable amounts of heating or cooling, you know, depending on how red or blue you're going for. It's got different fan speeds. You can bring in fresh air or not, the recirculate uh, feature. And dehumidification looks distinctly like the air conditioner button. So when people start to understand what an HVAC system should be able to do, and then you show them that while most homes or most cars can do five of the six functions of HVAC, as we call them, most homes can't do any. And, but if you make a different equipment choice, which is going to cost marginally more money, you know, to imagine that you want better stuff. It costs more shock. Right. Uh, you know? right. right. <laughs> um, that's just how it works. But once people at least understand that, they become open to better pieces of equipment. And when they do that, all of a sudden, you know, heat pumps hit the table where before they were just thinking about an air conditioner. Yeah, super helpful. You know, Nate, did we miss anything in our conversation when we're thinking about a comfortable home and HVAC, anything that we we missed discussing? So there's one piece that we should at least touch on, which is the building shell. Um, which means insulation and air sealing. So the the easiest analogy for this is imagine that I'm just a really mean jerk and I take you out to uh, a pier on a very cold, windy day. So it's 20 degrees out, there's a 30 mile an hour wind and you're out there on the pier, the waves are crashing, you're getting wet and all you have on is a t-shirt and jeans. So you are freezing. Now I give you the option of one of two garments. You can either get a very loose-knit sweater or you can get a windbreaker. Which one do you want? You know, I, I'm going to, back to your bucket challenge, I, you know, I, I'm going to go for the, the uh, I'm going to go for the shower and I'm going to go for the windbreaker. Those are my choices. Good job. Good job. Um, so the windbreaker will at least keep the wind off of you. Uh, where a loose-knit sweater, it's just going to blow right through. So insulation is like that loose knit sweater. Now it's still important because like a a windbreaker without insulation inside is not a coat. So you want both, but given the choice between one or the other, you want to make sure that you have the windbreaker and the windbreaker is air sealing on a house. So it's, it's sealing up a bunch of cracks and all of the traditional tips are actually horrific. You don't caulk your freaking windows. Um, like it doesn't matter. Uh, it just doesn't. All, all of the big leaks in your house are in the unmentionable places, the crawl space, the basement, the attic. It's all the places that no one wants to be. That's where almost all of the big leaks are. And uh, so if you can get a house tighter, by sealing it up, you give it that windbreaker so that the loose-knit sweater of the insulation can do its job. And in doing that, you reduce how much it takes to heat or cool that house. 
And in doing that, if you lower it enough, you get it to where a heat pump can do the job. Because remember, heat pumps have lower outputs than furnaces. So it, it depends on the house. Couldn't Yeah, that, that, that makes perfect sense. Nate, thank you so much. This has been a really helpful conversation, especially as we're getting into the winter season. So we appreciate you joining us this morning. It was my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Nate makes this really interesting observation of how important it is to look beyond at what he calls the box in the house. That's your furnace or an air conditioner, heat pump, whatever it might be, to look at the entire house for home comfort. Yeah, Nate discusses how important it is to introduce the right amount of heating or cooling into the house to keep the conditions stable and comfortable, kind of like Goldilocks. He compared this to taking a shower or having a bucket dumped over your head mentioning that trickling in heating or cooling to keep the surfaces and the materials in the house about the same temperature or keeping the mean radiant temperature stable. He also mentioned that radiant energy, which is energy coming off of surfaces, is about 60% of human comfort. And my dog would agree with that too. He changes his sleeping positions when the sun moves. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this discussion with Nate Tamara, and I hope our audience has as well. I'm looking forward to embarking on our second year of podcasting, where our guests will walk us through how cryptocurrency might pose the next big threat to our electricity grid. Yeah, me too. That's going to be an interesting discussion for sure. Hope you join us then. 